Well, praise God. Ooh, we Lord. are just so <laughs> delighted to be at the first national women's conference yes. in Ireland. Lord. Praise God. The praise first. God. I, I didn't mean, know it was the first. You know, first. it may be the first one, but it won't be the well, only yeah, one. It won't be the last one. Amen. It's such a joy to be here. My name is Lois Toucher, and Cindy Duvall is next to me, my, uh, uh, on, and then my husband, Ray Toucher, is running around. <laughs> and uh, we're actually in our 25th year of ministering the gospel all over the world. And people often ask us, they were somewhere, you know, in 19, late 1970s or early 80s, and they'll come up to us somewhere and say, I saw a group named Shekinah Glory, you know, in 1982, you know, here or there or somewhere. And they'll say, are you the original Shekinah Glory? <laughs> and we always tell them, no, that, that, was, our, that was our parents. <laughs> they were strange. They were crazy, but we, we really, we got it together. We're much more But actually, fine. in April of this year, we started our 25th year together. And, you know, it's just, it really is true. It does get sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. And, you know, God's got a plan. And whenever he's got a plan, he looks for someone who says, Lord, here I am. And I believe he's found some women in this place who just believe that what God says about them is true. You know, that's all it takes. It's just that you believe what God says about you is true. So it's a privilege and an honor to be here. It I, is. This is going to be a, a, a day, I believe, a, a one of those turning points in our lives which you can go back and you will look at and it will be marked by understanding more of who Christ is and what he's done and making your eyes and your life actually become even more on course with his purpose, his plan for you. You know, when we were in the Walter Hallam's church uh, a few years back at a, a meeting, a conference, and and uh, no, just a conference. And so then uh, he had some people standing up around the auditorium, people, Pastor so-and-so from so-and-so, Pastor so-and-so from so-and-so. And he, he said, Pastor Kevin and Heather, and they stood up, and he said, from Ireland. And, and I remember I hit Lois, and I said, I think we're going to be in their church. And I didn't go up to them and say that. But I said, I think we're supposed to be there. And I don't know how the Lord's going to work it out. But I believe he is. And he did. Hallelujah. Isn't he good? Finally, yeah. Pastor Kevin got to know us long enough. See, it didn't take me long to know the Holy Ghost. But, you know, some of these guys, sometimes they're a little slow. <laughs> and um, but I'll tell you. We, I guess we there's could... a reason Jesus told a woman, <laughs> go tell them. Really? I mean. I'm alive. Okay. You know, Don't let him get this part well, of the I tape. am outnumbered. I <laughs> can't say a thing. No. No, sir, you don't say anything oh, now. No, oh, we're, you know, we're just kidding. And uh, Shelly is uh, on, the, on the camera. She's been with us for almost, what, seven years now? She was spirit-filled under our... your queen way, Shelly. There you yeah, go. There you go. <laughs> she was spirit-filled under our ministry when she was eight. And when she was 19, she asked the Lord if she could work with us. She just failed to ask me. <laughs> anyway, uh, she's been with us all these years. She went to Raymond. And she lived with me, and she does everything for us that we need. So if there's anything you need or you want to know anything about, just ask her. Even if she doesn't know, she's young, she thinks she knows. <laughs> uh, Remember those no, days? No, 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 no answer back. Uh, but don't, anyway. Don't you talk back to me, Shelly. Okay. <laughs> I oh, do have. I'll tell you, these are glory meetings. 
healings, direction, the word, truth, and life and light. Woo! Really, we don't have anything different. We do the same thing for the youth, for the women, for the men, for the for the it's just a body of Christ. <laughs> but I do understand Woo! that this is a particular set time in your life for as your women in our lives and I believe at this time you know you'll never be at this point again in your life and to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us at this point right now is actually vital and I know and we know we've prayed and believed God for that word in due season this is the time a special time amen uh, just so you'll understand shouting is not out of order uh, dancing is not out of order uh, you know, praising God and is not out of order. In fact, if you want to know the truth, looking ugly and mad, that's out of order. In fact, ushers watch the, watch their faces. <laughs> that, you know, if you, you know, that may, really does disturb the service. We may have to, to carry you out, you understand? <laughs> and, you know, maybe you haven't been born. You know, we're just joking. Are y'all okay? But, you know, you know, if you haven't been born again but three weeks or maybe you've been born again 30 years, I just want you to know we all receive from the same place. Y'all right? Yeah. And I know, you know, if you're trying to figure us out, well, you'll still be doing that tomorrow. Really? You'll miss the whole service. Really? You'll miss the whole deal. Just don't do it. We haven't got enough time to do that. Just jump right in. So don't try to figure us out. If we, we are... happen to say something good, you can run around the room. We don't care. <laughs> run. Get free. Get free. Get free. Yes. So... Run because you are free. Yes. Hallelujah. We it's don't true. really care. You say, well, I don't understand why people should jump and all that. That didn't make any sense to me. Well, you remember when, when, when Mary came to Elizabeth after she heard that all things were possible and she she was talking to she went to see her cousin Elizabeth and Elizabeth was was actually pregnant with John the Baptist at that time and the Bible says that when Mary went to see Elizabeth that Elizabeth in her womb that John when he heard the greeting of his Savior he leaped, leaped. for joy leaped. he was jumping before he ever got out of the womb so you know just when he heard that it was a day of redemption yeah. Well, we're living on the side where he has completed that, which John the Baptist was just announcing, hearing the announcement of. So, you know, Hallelujah. so it's a good day. And this is, a, this is kind of my, you know, this is my signpost for, the, for, this, uh, for this time that we have together, this scripture that I'm going to give you. You know, signposts, you read them and they give you direction as to where you're going. Amen. And this is my signpost for you. It's in Philippians 2 verse 13. Oh, I love this scripture. It's one of those, you know, scriptures you just need to, to, to just memorize, not because you just deliberately are trying to get something in your head, but because it's something that's just flowing out of the abundance of your heart. And Philippians 2.13 says this. And, you know, whenever you're trying to, to, to understand, oh, I, I, you know, I, I want to do your will, God, but I, I just, you know, I, I, I just don't have the ability to. You know, it's not that I don't want to. I just, I just can't. Or, or maybe you feel like there's something greater in you that, that's keeping you from doing what God's called you to do. Remember this scripture. Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. For it is God who is at work in you. You say, well, God's working. Oh, God, you're working in Ireland. Yes, you are. No, no, no. No, no. God's working in Ireland in you. It's a God who is at work. You know, that work is an, that, that work 
word work is an energy word. It's actually a word that it's, it's not a word that just, you know, like, uh, like with a battery, if there was power that's stored up in the battery. There's one word like that for energy, power. But there's another word, which this word is, which actually means a working in you. It's actually a, a word that means there's a release of that power. And that's actually what God's doing in you. He's not just in you to make you want something from Him. He's actually in you to make you able to do something from Him. Amen. For it is God who is at work in you. See, you're not working for your salvation. You're working from salvation. The saving power of God's in you. And God's at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure in other words what he has called you to do he has given you the desire and the ability to do it listen to this translation I love this one it says Weymouth said it is God himself whose power creates within you the desire to do his gracious will And also brings about the accomplishment of the desire. Listen to author S. Way. He said, it is God who is all the while supplying the impulse, giving you the power to resolve, the strength to perform, the execution of his good pleasure. Barclay said, he put into you the will to desire and the power to achieve what his purpose is has planned for you. Praise God. I know you might have all kinds of things in your head, all kinds of ideas and thoughts, but if you'll just listen to what God's Word is saying to you today, tonight, tomorrow, I promise you, you will see the way where God can work in you for His good pleasure. I promise you, I know every single person in here will see that way. Every single one of you. Amen. So we're just kind of going to sing a couple songs here. We're going to look at the word. And and it's a combination of the word of God and the spirit of God and and the the help from heaven. And, and you know, just, just, you know, just unhook and, and unhook with whatever resistance you might have in your thinking or in your feeling. And just hook up with the Holy Ghost. And, you know, just let's just go for it. Amen. Amen. You know, you say, oh, you're from America, you're from Ireland, you're from North Ireland, you're from... No, no, we're all born of the Spirit of God. There's one family in heaven and on earth. And let's just hook up with that sense of unity. One Lord, one faith, one God, one Father, above all, in all, and through you all. Can we hook up with that? Amen. 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 Jesus is alive. Thessalonians chapter 1 you don't have to turn here but get your Bibles ready to turn when Paul was writing to the church in 
Thessalonica, a church that he went to under the divine inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He, had a, he thought he would go one direction, and he went to bed and had a dream, and the Spirit of God showed him the way. Actually, what he showed him was the way of victory for his life. That's actually what he did. He showed him the way of triumph for his life. And changed his course. He was going to go into Asia. And he changed his course and took the word of God into Europe instead. And ever since then, he went west. And ever since then, that word has spread. And it's come to you and me. And he wrote to the church, one of the churches, strongest churches that were established there. And he said to them, he said, if you want to know how I came to you with the word of God. He said, when I came to you in verse 5, he said, my gospel, our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And he said, and you've become followers of us. <laughs> See, when he came to them, he knew he founded his life on the word from God, but he also moved in divine inspiration of the spirit of God. And, you know, the Bible is maybe you don't understand how things, you know, and how, how, how uh, the gifts of the Spirit work and, and, and the purpose of those things. But that's why you need to be in church. Because <laughs> the first thing he did when he went there was establish a church. Did you know there's only one place that God said that he would be at this day and time with his plan and purpose? The church. And when he said church, he didn't mean, you know, where, you know, there's just a, 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 you know, my house on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's very specific, actually, as you look through the New Testament, what a church is. A church is a local assembly of people who come together in a public facility to outwardly proclaim and manifest the gospel that they believe. Through teaching, through songs and worship and praise together, we come together. And you say, well, I'm the body of Christ. No, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says you alone are the body of Christ. It says you are a member of the body. And if one member says, I don't need them, does that make it true? It says, no, it doesn't make it true. If the ear tells the eye, I don't need you, does, you know, then where's your hearing? In other words, you know, you may not think you need the rest of the body, but actually the Bible's pretty clear that without the rest of the body, you ain't going nowhere. I'm a very strong believer in local church membership. In fact, there, I find no place in the New Testament where there's anything that any ministry is sent to build except churches, even traveling ministries. We've been a traveling ministry for 25 years. Our whole purpose in every traveling ministry I've ever seen in the New Testament, every purpose that they were sent out for was to strengthen the church. And through that work of strengthening the church, there's actually a revival that takes place in the city. Because the members of the body of Christ become strong in the Lord. And when they walk out into a place, they shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And then they come together. You know, Jesus, the first time the word church was ever used was when Jesus himself spoke it. It was used in the sense of a Christian context was when Jesus spoke it to Peter uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 16 or 17. I forget which it, where it is. And he said, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're this. You know, they said this. But he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, and I want to tell you who you are, Peter. 
See, when Peter began to see who Jesus was, actually, he began to see who he was. You'll never know who you are if you don't know who Christ is. And you'll never really understand, you know, you'll never understand who Christ is if you're not in church because he tied the revelation of who Christ is. He said, and the, he said, he said, he said, I will build my church in the same breath that he said, you know, and I will tell you who you are. You are Peter upon this rock. I will build my church. And obviously he wasn't talking about, you know, Peter <laughs> physically because Peter physically was just like you and I. And neither you nor I have the foundation to build the church. But Jesus Christ and the revelation of Jesus Christ is in our hearts. And that is what gives us a foundation that's unshakable. And he said, and upon this rock, I, Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that word church all of a sudden took on a whole different meaning. Before then, it only meant a public assembly uh, in a secular sense in society, in Greek society, where they would come together publicly and assemble together. But Jesus said, no, let me give it to you in context of the plan of God. He said, this is actually a building that is built by God where my people come with my name and who they are and who I am meet together and nothing is ever the same. Amen. And, you know, it just goes on. That's not, my, that's not what I want to share with you, but I just want to encourage each and every one of you ladies that church is the place where the plan of God is unfolded. Unfolded clearly and there ain't nothing the devil can do about it. And then you'll go out on different things and into, you know, the highways and byways, but you bring them in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Glory to God. Well, uh, as I was uh, looking at some things for this special meeting, I, I kept hearing that purpose of God being established in the heart of every person who is here. And, you know, I was raised in church. I was raised in a denominational church. I never really realized that I could be uh, uh, anything Besides just a member of the church, obviously that's the biggest thing you ever will be. But I didn't realize the con uh, the, what that meant, that actually the, 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 uh, the plan that God could work out in my life. And as I began to see that plan and began to just, just realize who God was and who Christ is, I mean that that purpose of God began to work in me. You know, I always saw something working in Jesus, but until it got personal, I really never really walked in the plan of God. And, you know, unlike some of you ladies that are in here, you know, I, I didn't come from a family, although my mother was saved, my father was not, and I didn't come from a family that nurtured a healthy relationships. I, in fact, I, I, hadn't, I, in fact I, I came from an environment that nurtured very unhealthy relationships. And it's the grace of God, I'm telling you, it's just the grace of God and faith in what he can do that is uh, actually the reason I have a testimony of God's plan of fulfillment in my life. Amen. So I know it doesn't matter what's happened to you. If you know what God's done for you, it's bigger and greater, and the effect of it is far greater. So just listen this, this, this evening and tomorrow, and, and I know the Spirit of God's going to help you to see the same thing. I know he is because he didn't just do it for me. He didn't just do it for me. He did it for each and every one of you. 
every single one of you. And so there's, there's an interesting point that I, I, I think will help you to see this, um, you know, the, in the story of Jesus. I want you to understand, I read the whole book, the whole Bible, as just a, a, a revelation of who Christ is and what he's done. And as I read the New Testament and understand that, I take the light of the New Testament and then I, I take it into the shadow of the Old Testament. And you can just see it shining through. I mean, God's plan of redemption, it didn't just start when Jesus came to this earth. It was actually working in the lives of people throughout the whole story that's in the Bible. In the lives of people, God's plan of bringing Christ, his life, and his purpose to this earth is working there. And you can see it working in all these people's lives as you understand more and uh, re what redemption is in Christ. And there is an interesting uh, point that has to do with ladies that I noticed some time ago in the Gospel of Matthew because uh, Matthew is the book that uses a word that, that I want to use for you during this time more than any other Gospel writer. He uses the word fulfilled. Many things happen, and he'll say, you know, that this happened, like in Matthew, uh, where he says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And what he does, uh, that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, you know, when he, was, when he was healing the sick. And he uses the word a lot there, fulfilled. And he uses it so that you can understand it, that, that the, the events that took place that the Gospel of Matthew records, actually, he wants you to understand it in context of a continuance of of people's lives before that came together with the will of God in people's lives in Matthew and brought fulfillment. Do you see that? And so that's why one of the things that Matthew starts off with is genealogies because, you know, genealogies connect you with past uh, uh, generations and help you to understand that, you know, you may have thought you're the only one that ever had blue eyes, but guess what? <laughs> You got them from your great granddaddy or, you know, you know, things like that. They help you understand connections. And so in the genealogy of Matthew, as he's giving, um, he says really in Genesis or Matthew 1, 1, he says he's giving the book of the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He's trying to help you to understand how people did things before Jesus Christ was born in, in the gospel of Matthew and how that that their lives connected ultimately with the plan of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? You Well, you will see it. And he, so as you're reading these genealogies, it's interesting to note, or at least it was to me, that there are four times when he specifically notes women's names. And it's not actually the normal... Um, mode of, you know, uh, operation here because most of the time it was just recorded through the man's name. But there are four times where he actually mentions uh, specifically by name the names of women. And the first one is, is in uh, verse 3 where it says, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. She's the first one that's mentioned by name. And so I want us to look, uh, there's, a, there's three more mentioned if you want to know where they are. Verse 5 says, Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. So there's Rahab and there's Ruth. And then if you go over to verse 16, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. 
And so there's four times when you me- they mention the names of the women of whom was born Jesus Christ, who is called Christ. And so I want us to look, if we would, in Genesis chapter 37. I believe we are going to see something in the life of this woman named Tamar that is actually going to help us to understand how God is working in us with his purpose and his plan. And that is a plan of fulfillment with the will of God in our lives. Okay? I don't know why I'm... Amen. Amen. And, you, you know, you can enter in too, honey. It's good. Um, in Genesis chapter 37... I'm, I don't know why I'm so warm, but I'll cool off here in a minute. Um, in Genesis chapter 37... Is that where I want it? No, that's not where I want it. Genesis chapter 38. Actually, Genesis chapter 38. Genesis, it's interesting to note in the middle of this this story, it's it's in the chapter of Genesis 38, and it's right in the middle, inserted right into the middle of the story of Joseph with his brothers. You remember the story of Joseph with his brothers? Joseph was, you know, he wore the coat of many colors, you know, and he had dreams, and he went and told his brothers his dreams, and they decided that they didn't like the dreams, so they thought they'd kill the dreamer. <laughs> but, you know, they thought if they could steal his coat and, and, and you know, and, and, that, that they could take the coat because the coat always was, you know, something that just set him apart. It was a coat of many colors, you know, and it was a coat that just let them know all the time that he was different than they were. He was special. His father loved Joseph above all his brothers. And then Joseph has a dream that says, you know, all of you boys are going to bow down to me. And they didn't like that at all. In fact, they didn't like it so much that actually Judah, they go out, you know, and they throw him in this pit, you know, and they're just going to leave him there. But Judah, interesting enough, says, you know, if we just leave him in this pit, it's not going to be any profit to us. We're not going to make anything just leave him in the pit. Why don't we sell him into slavery? There'll be some profit in this evil work if we sell him into slavery. Judah was the one that said that. And so that's what they did. They sold him into slavery. And right in the middle of all of this that his brothers are doing, you know, to try to stop the dream of God, it stops right there in Genesis chapter 38 and stops talking about what's happening to Joseph and starts talking about what's happening to Judah. Judah was one of Joseph's brother, actually the brother that said, I think we ought to sell him into slavery for the purpose of profit was his only purpose. So Judah kind of got on a track here of, uh, of, an, of the wrong purpose, uh, a purpose that was actually not inspired by God, a purpose to destroy people's lives. And he had the wrong motive. And let me tell you something. When you start making a profit out of doing the wrong thing, man, you get the power of this world and the power, you know, money in this world is a, is a, it, it can be a powerful force. And it actually can, can almost be like an artificial anointing because people who have a lot of money sometimes think that, you know, that, that they're, they're wise just because they got a lot of money. And, they're, you know, they're just, they're just special because they got a lot of money. They get treated special. They can do special things other people can't do. And so they just kind of start thinking they're special because they got a lot of money. <laughs> it's true. But did you know it's just a deception And Proverbs says that the the riches of a fool will actually destroy him. 
But, uh, uh, you know, I'm not against riches don't, because I know what to do with them. I, you know, I, I don't take my foundation for how significant I am from how much money I have. But there are people that do that. You may know somebody like that. They, they really do that, you know, until they get to the end of their life and, and then the money can't buy them the health that they need or the happiness that they need. Or, or, and then they, 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 they almost come to despise the very thing that they thought was their strength. Because they realized the thing they gave themselves to actually only took from them what they couldn't keep. And so Genesis, what would you say? Yeah, their blessing became a bondage. So anyway, it says in chapter uh, 38 now that it came to pass that now Judah departed from his brothers and he went and visited a certain uh, place, a friend of his and named Hira, Hira. I know I'm, you know, I'm an American you know, Indian slash my mom told me I had some Irish in me too, but I don't know where that came from. But I can tell you, I'm not real good at reading Hebrew. So, you know, help me, you know, just be patient with me. But I want you to see this now because Judah now, it starts talking about what happened with Judah. Judah saw a daughter there and he took in, he married her and she conceived and bore him two sons. One of them was named Ur and one of them was named Onan. And she conceived again and bore another son named Sheila. So, or Shayla, however. He's got three sons now. And now, verse 6, Judah took a wife for her for his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So Judah's firstborn uh, daughter-in-law, the wife of his firstborn uh, son, Ur, is that his name? Ur? Uh, Ur, I don't know, Ur. Uh, <laughs> His name, his, her name is Tamar. And now uh, Tamar, now you're going to see why Tamar is, is specifically chosen, the exception to the rule of the, the law that was, you know, according to their tradition, was to do it through the name of the man. You're going to see here why it was so important that her name be a part of really the, the, the people that had done things before Jesus came to this earth that actually were a part of bringing the king to this earth. It's real important that you see this because there's a redemptive parallel here. And if you'll see this, you're going to see how it works the same way in your life. Well, you know, she, she actually what happens here now, Judah's uh, two sons, Ur and uh, Onan, they're both wicked in the sight of the Lord. In fact, the only thing I have ever found anywhere that I could read about Ur, Tamar's husband, is that he was wicked in the sight of the Lord. That's the only thing I can ever see anywhere about. That's, that's his, you know, that's probably on his tombstone. He was a wicked man. Well, you know, that might be a sad thing. And, and you know, it is a sad thing for her. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you make the choice and then the choice makes you. And that's what he did. And, you know, you say, well, I, you know, I have had some people in my life that were just wicked people. Well, hang on. Because just because somebody in your life is wicked or, you know, done things to, I mean, actually try to destroy you. I'm telling you right now, God's plan for good is greater than the devil's plan for bad. And if everybody in your family says that's your destiny, if you believe God, I'm telling you right now, you can have a breakthrough instead of a breakdown. Did I say that right? You can have a breakthrough instead of a breakdown. In fact, this is what I wrote down about these women. They had breakthroughs instead of breakdowns. They were included instead of excluded. They received God's best at their worst, turned tragedy into triumph, became worthy instead of worthless. 
Everything from childless, worthless, husbandless, outcast, wrong family, wrong place, lied to, lied about, in despair, poverty, starvation, and destruction. But each one of these women, I love this, I, got, I had to write it down so I wouldn't forget it, became unstoppable, unforgettable, undeniable, and unconquerable, conquerable because of one thing. They chose to believe God. And you know, you can't always choose what happens to you. But listen to me. You always choose what you do next. Listen, you can't always choose what happens to you. Sometimes other people, sometimes, you know, just situations in this world, whatever, where you're born or what. You don't always choose what happens to you, but you always choose what happens next. I want you to see this now and choose making the choice in light of redemption. First uh, John two seventeen says, "He who does the will of God abides forever. Whoever perseveres, one translation says, in doing God's will, lives on forever." Amen. So here's uh, now here's Judah. He's actually already had a plan of evil against his brother Joseph, whom God chose, gave a dream to actually keep them alive. And Judah is the one who said, sell him into slavery. Now, Judah has gone out of that place and married someone, had two sons, three sons, and his first two sons, Ur. Has died. Well, his first son, Ur, died. And when he died, actually it was the second son's responsibility to bring seed for his firstborn. And, and, it, and it wasn't a seed that would carry his name, but it was according to the law that he was to per- preserve the seed that was, that was coming through his life. And his, his second son, Onan, said, I don't want to do that. And so the Bible says he was wicked in the sight of the Lord too. Do you know what he did? He took up the same plan that his older brother had to stop, to actually not have come through his life the plan of God. Did you you understand that? Do you understand that's what he chose to do? And you say, well, it doesn't matter what I choose. You You know, I'm not doing anything for God and it doesn't matter. What you don't understand is that if you don't choose the plan of God, It's not that God's going to just send something evil your way. He's just looking for a way to destroy you. No, no. No, Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to destroy the world. I came that they might be saved. Actually, God's not saying, you know, you better obey me or you'll die. No, actually, what happens is if you don't choose God, the, the, the choice that is made for you is one of certain destruction. But God says, I've come to get you out of that cycle of destroying your life. He's not a God of vengeance. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. All of the judgment and all of the wrath of God was laid on Jesus Christ. That was why he came. To take from you the very thing you didn't have the power to bear. But the devil's called the accuser of the brethren, not God. He's the one that's always looking for a reason why you, to make you think you're just not good enough. You just don't have it. That's not the, that's not God. And that's not the gospel. That is the enemy of God. Jesus came that you could have life and have it more abundantly. 
The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So here he is trying in, the, in, this, in this story here. We see how that Onan and Ur both decided they would not continue and let the plan of God come through their life. Now Judah says to Tamar in verse 11, his daughter-in-law, he says, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. And, he, and then he says in his, in his heart, he's saying, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. In other words, Judah says, Now, Tamar, you go back to your family, to your land. She dwelt in a land where, where you know, people worshipped idols. And, and, and she came from a place where they didn't worship God. And she had hooked up with a family to worship God. And everybody in this family had been wicked so far both of her both i mean you know widowed once widowed twice i mean you know husbandless childless now she's outcast you know and judah says you go and when the third son's old enough i'll give him to you but he had no intention of doing that never judah has actually if you want to know what judah's done he's actually kind of stopped the plan of god in his life that's what he's done he did it, you know, he, he, he kind of sowed those seeds with Joseph and now he's just kind of stopped the plan of God. Now, Tamar is not really anyone of any significance in the natural. She has no heir. She has no husband. She has nothing to live for in the natural. Nothing. Everything she's invested in her life in has, has, has died, has been taken from her. But now she goes back and she's gone back to, you know, where Judah has told her to go. But now it comes up and it says, now uh, in the process of time, Judah's wife died. And Judah goes to his friend, the same friend he originally went there to see. And now it's told Tamar, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And I guess that must meant that, you know, he's going on with his life and he is not interested in doing anything to help uh, uh, what he told you he would do. As far as you're concerned, it's over. As far as you're concerned, you know, the, the situation you're in, everything taken from you, that's just the way you're going to have to die. You're just going to have to live with nothing to look forward to for the rest of your life. But something in Tamar, and I'm telling you right now, it was the hand of God on her. Something in Tamar said, no, I won't live this way. I will not have my life marked by tragedy. I will not have my life marked by what de devastation. I will not have my life marked by something the enemies planned for me. I don't care what they've chosen to do. I don't care who they are. I choose to believe God. Amen. And literally that's what she did. And she went to uh, the, uh, it says when, with verse 14, she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, sat in an open place, which was on the way to this place where Judah was going. And she saw that Sheila was grown and was not given to him. Now Judah saw her and thought she was a harlot because she'd covered her face. He turned to her by the way and she said, uh, said, please let me come into you for he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me that you may come in? He said, I will give you a young goat from the flock. Will you give me a pledge uh, till you send it? He, she said, Will you give me something, in other words, that will give me a pledge of who you are, will identify who you are until you give me this goat that you're telling me you're going to get me if I let you come into me? And you say, well, what's going on here? Well, Judah was on his way to this place, his friend's house. Judah was the one who had chosen a harlot. 
uh, uh, Tamar was not living the life of a harlot. But what she did is she literally got into a veil, put a veil on her face, and literally assumed the identity of a harlot in order to be in the place where Judah would connect with her. And you say, I wonder why in the world would she do something like this? Well, this is really, uh, uh, I see in this a shadow and a type of redemption. Because Jesus in Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected of men. Literally, Tamar went to a place where uh, despised and rejected people went. That's where she went. And she sat in this place and sat in the very place Judah was on his way to a place of total separation from the will of God. And Tamar literally intersected in the course of Judah's life. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I can literally see how Tamar did just what Jesus did. He did not commit a sin, but he became our sin. He literally took the veil on him of sin and despised and rejected and separation from God. Well, I can see this type and shadow in the Old Testament, can't you? And she sat in this place. And when Judah came and he said, well, you know, you, uh, I, 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 you know, I will come into you and this will be my pledge. She said, give me a pledge. What she was doing was actually saying, give me something will identify who you are. So he gave her a signet ring and a cord that was around his neck. And so what happened was she conceived when she went into him. And then she took off that veil and never put it on again. And she put back on her widow's garments. In other words, she went back to her house. And then three months later, Judah had gone to try to give this goat so he could get his ring back. But she was nowhere to be found. You know why? They went looking for her on that harlot's road. And she wasn't there. Because that was not her destiny. Oh, yes, there was a place in redemption where Jesus Christ went in to the very pit. I mean the very harlot's road of our life. But I can tell you right now, he didn't stay there because the seed of God was a seed of life. And it brought him out of that place. And let me tell you something. That's exactly what was happening right here. Because the Bible says that when Judah three, uh, Tamar three months later... It says to them, it came to pass, verse 24, three months later, Judah was told that Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Boy, he knew the law, didn't he? Boy, he knew the law. Do you know people who are religious always value laws more than they do people? He knew the law. You know, it actually said earlier in here that when they were trying to find who she was in verse 23, he said, uh, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. Yeah. Oh, he didn't want anything to make him look bad. Yeah. Oh, no, uh, it was just appearance. Do you understand that? Yeah. This wasn't something from his heart. It was just appearance for him, a godly appearance. But God looks on the heart. He looks at people who other people say are despised and rejected. But inside of their heart, they're saying, God, i got to have your plan. i got to have your will. I will not stay separated from your plan. I will not stay separated from your will. And thank God, the one who in Christ, in Jesus Christ, he literally took the shame and the, the rejection that comes from sin. And he did go to that place. But he didn't stay in that place. And you know what? Neither did Tamar. 
Because the Bible says that when you know Judas said, well, let her be burned. Oh, I'm a good one for the law. Yeah. yeah. But he said, oh, they said, uh, Judah, not, uh, Judah came and she brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I'm with child. And now they saw the signet ring. She said, you determine for yourself whose they are. <laughs> She's pretty, pretty bold, wasn't she? Verse 26, Judah acknowledged him. And listen to what Judah said. She has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Shelah, my son. And he never knew her again. That was the turning point in Judah's life. All of a sudden, he recognized what was at work here was greater than just some purpose and some casual thing. He was on his way of totally forgetting about God's plan in his life. But Tamar didn't forget about it. And he recognized right here that she had hooked up with a righteous plan of God. And he had disconnected from it. And it was a turning point in his life because I'll tell you this, Judah didn't know it. He was not the firstborn. He had a, I think Reuben was his, the firstborn. He was not the one who was supposed to be the one who would represent and continue on the line uh, of Jesus Christ. But there was a switch right after when Joseph brought all his brothers in, you know, in Egypt after they came back. And when, when, his, when his father uh, um, uh, laid, uh, was it Isaac, when he laid hands on, on uh, his sons, he actually, uh, or Jacob, was it Jacob? Yeah, Jacob. When he laid hands on his sons, instead of giving the blessing of the firstborn, to Reuben, he gave it to Judah. Judah didn't know that was coming. Listen, Tamar didn't know that was coming either. But because it says, and Judah begat Perez by Tamar. Because Judah got the blessing. He's actually the one who led the charge with the people when they moved into the land of Canaan. He was the one, the tribe of Judah was the one when they said, who is going to take us in? Who is going to defeat our enemies? They said, Joshua, after he died, they said, uh, Judah, he will be the one to go up and deliver it into this hand, to the hand of the people of God. But Judah didn't know it. You know what? Tamar didn't know it either. You don't have to know everything, the reason why you need to do something. You don't have to have all the answers. Let me just tell you this. Just because something happens that you're not prepared for, and just because something happens that you didn't plan, I should say it that way, it doesn't mean you're not prepared for it. Did you hear me? Tamar didn't plan to be widowed twice. Tamar didn't plan for Judah to do what he did. But she, because she had prepared herself to do the will of God, and I don't know what she did, but somewhere along the line, she chose the righteous plan of God. And when she did, look at what happened here. It said, now it came to pass, verse 27, at the time for giving birth, that behold, twins were in her womb. Woo! Isaiah 61, 7 says, instead of shame, you will have double honor. Yeah. Glory to God. You know, I'm just telling you right now, if you think what the devil's, she may have lost two husbands and not had any seed, but now she's got twins. 
But you know what happens with this birth? This birth is real significant. You can see this really. You can see God's plan of redemption, of bringing you back into a place of life when destruction and, and everything that the devil has done to try to destroy your life and take from you, you can see how it's working here because she's having twins. And as she's having twins, it says, as, as the midwife takes, uh, one of them puts out his hand, verse 28, and, and the midwife takes a thread and bounds it on his hand saying, this one came out first. But then it happened, verse 28, as he drew back his hand, she said, how did you break through? The other brother came out unexpectedly. In other words, she's having twins. One of them reaches his hand out and they put a thread around the hand thinking that's the firstborn. But then his hand goes back in and this other brother comes on out. And that brother, they named the midwife says, how did you do that? She said, you had a breakthrough. And she called his name Perez. You know why she called his name Perez? Because Perez literally means breakthrough. And every time from that point on, Tamar was known for the woman who gave birth to a breakthrough. Woo! Let me tell you something. She was never remembered she was never she was never remembered as a harlot. She is forever remembered as the woman who gave birth to a breakthrough. She didn't give birth to a breakthrough because she didn't have three strikes against her. She had some strikes against her, but let me tell you something, ladies. This is the way faith works. You never see your opportunity when you only focus on your difficulties. Abraham was said in Romans chapter 4 that he grew strong in faith when he considered not his own body dead or the decades of infertility of Sarah's womb. There were some things he didn't consider in order to see the opportunity that God had given him for his life. You will never, you can mark it down. It is a way of faith. Everybody has difficulties. Everybody, you know, you may think I'm a prophet, but I can tell you right now, you've either had trouble, you're in trouble, or there's trouble yet to come. I know you may think, well, Lord, she is a prophet for sure. That's a truth. I'm telling you, that's the truth. But that's just the way it is in this world. Jesus said, John 16, you don't have to believe for trouble. You don't have to go looking for it. It comes looking for you. It's like children's church. If you don't plan something for them, they plan something for you. <laughs> but in John 16, 31, why do you think he said in John 16, 31, he said, I give you peace this world doesn't have. Why did he tell him that? Because he said, because in this world that I give you peace, that word peace means wholeness that this world doesn't have. He said, you will have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But he said, you know what? Just don't let the trouble have you. Be of good cheer, he said. You have overcome the world. Tamar saw something in her. And in light of redemption, in light of the New Testament, I can see that she saw a plan from God in her. And she began to focus on that opportunity. Oh, she had difficulties. But you never see the opportunity when you focus on the difficulties. Faith does not come from seeing how big a problem you have. No, no. 
That's not what causes faith to come. Faith comes from seeing the God who has the answer for the problem. Do you understand? And Tamar saw something working in her that was a plan born of God. It wasn't born from her family connections. It wasn't even born from her after, you know, her when she was married. I mean, thank God. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing greater in your life than connecting up with people that want the will of God. Nothing. And if you don't have that in the natural, I'll guarantee you. I'll guarantee if you don't have mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, husbands. If you don't have those things in the natural, I'm telling you, when you hook up with the people of God in the church of God, the very things that you feel are unnurtured and have been taken from you, I'm telling you right now, the family of God puts something in you that you, you where you do not feel like, oh, well, you know, my husband doesn't love me like that. It's amazing how you'll be able to live a fulfilled life. With someone you think, well, they just don't treat me like they ought to. You'll realize it's not about how they treat me. It's about how I treat them. And instead of looking for someone else to fix your problem, you'll realize God's got to work in you. That it doesn't matter what's, your, what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what kind of difficulty. That's why I love the story of Tamar. It didn't matter what anyone did. I'm telling you, it it looked like God himself had forsaken her. Because Judah, the head of the household, the one who, as far as it looked like in the natural, I mean, he was the voice of God to her life. And it looked like, I mean, you know, the religious system of her day, everything was against her. But there was something in her. She literally, I'm telling you, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. How that he became a place of despised and rejected. Took the sin of the world on himself. But I'm telling you, you go looking for him in that place today and he ain't there. But he is. He is risen from the grave. And the seed of God that's in him has literally birthed a breakthrough. That anybody who believes in him gets through the same place. Same place. And there's a story about the Perez from this point on that literally his name was mentioned again in one of the other ladies' lives as, as, as she was nurtured by the will of God. There's th this same woman, Tamar's name is mentioned, and it said, I pray that you are just like her. Wow. Now I tell you, that's the will of God when you've been forsaken, forgotten, uh, you know, beaten the head and left for dead and turned out and said, don't ever come back. Yeah, don't ever come back. Wow. And somebody, and you stand up and say, God's for me. Look over at Romans chapter 8. This is what I want you to see for your breakthrough. Romans chapter 8. God's for me. They all may be against me, but God is for me. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, glory to God. What shall we then say to these things? I'll guarantee you she had to choose what she was going to say to him. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, one translation says, if God's on our side, who cares who's against us? <laughs> You say, I got some things against me. Well, I just want to know if you know who's for you. You know, I got some things against me, Lord. You just don't know how many things I got against me. Well, you know what? You've counted them all enough. Why don't you count the one that's for you? Because let me just tell you something. If he's for you, 
it don't matter who's against you. If God is for you, who, who, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him, not without him, with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? You don't have a debt to pay. Jesus paid your debt. You are not a debtor. You are not a debtor to this world. You are not a debtor to your past. You are not a debtor. You are a redeemed woman of God. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's not God. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, in case you didn't know it, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. You know why he's at the right hand of God? He's there to make sure no matter what happens in your life, you have God's plan. He's there sticking up for you. He's there praying for you. And he ain't just saying, oh, God bless her. Oh, help her through. Oh, let her know. Oh, No, he's there with the word of God in his mouth saying things like, greater is he that is living in me than he who is in the world. Oh, the greater one strengthened with all might according to glorious power which raised Christ from the dead. Who shall separate us? I got to read the rest of this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? What's the answer? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. Oh, there's a lot of things that are, that are coming against you. What are they trying to do? They're trying to separate you from believing that God is for you. The reason for tribulation and distress is to separate you from the plan of God. Let me tell you something. You don't ever have the plan of God without trouble. But let me tell you something. Trouble is not the plan of God. You may have some trouble, but that's not God's plan. You know, you, you know the Bible says, you know, you know uh, uh, with, with many, what does it say, you know, a hundredfold return, you know, you know, that if you, whatever you give for the kingdom's sake on this earth, you know, you'll get back a hundredfold with persecutions. <laughs> He's not saying, you know, God wants you to have trouble, but I can guarantee you there's people in this world and devils and things in this world that would like to make sure all you have is trouble. But there's one way the trouble doesn't, doesn't determine your destiny. When you believe God. If God is for me, who can be against me? Didn't say there weren't things against me, but I said God's for me. Didn't say I didn't have trouble, but I believe that what God's given me, trouble can't separate me from it. No, no, I separate from the trouble, but the trouble does not separate me from my God. And he goes on and he says, oh, yet, verse 37... Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what more than conquerors means? It means that you're a hyper-victorious person. You say, oh, they're just too much over there. They got that hyper-faith stuff. You just tell them everything's hyper. Hyper-victory, hyper-love, hyper-peace, hyper-freedom. Yeah, that's right. I don't have ordinary freedom. I got the kind Jesus got for me. And actually, this word never existed before until Paul made, he made a word up here, a word to describe 
how real your conquering victory is in Christ. He said, we're hyper-victorious. We don't just have some ordinary, you know, every run-of-the-mill victory. We got a hyper-victory. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I got to read the rest of this. For I am persuaded. You know, I just imagine Tamar was in her house saying something like this. I am persuaded. I am fully confident. I am fully assured, not because of anybody, what anybody else thinks of me, not because what anybody else has done to me or for me, but I am fully persuaded if she'd been born again on the flip side of the Old Testament, you know, if she'd have gotten the light of the new, she'd have been saying stuff like, I'm fully persuaded that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in me, and it's a greater power doing greater things, and I'm fully persuaded. And in fact, you know, she probably didn't understand it but she was walking in the light of redemption i'm fully persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come i always say it like this not what's happening today or what's happening tomorrow you say well you know i'm doing all right now but i don't know about tomorrow you need to make your decision today before you ever face the trouble of tomorrow that you know whom you believe that you've already decided that God's working in me and what he's doing in me is greater than any trouble that comes against me. Because I'll guarantee you, you'll have trouble. But let me tell you, faith always has the victory. Oh, in all these things, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah! That's true. That's true. You know why we can come anywhere in the world and just know something's going to happen for every person there? Because we don't come over here trying to make something happen that we can do. We come over here with the message of what God has made happen in Christ Jesus. It's already happened. This is our day. And let me tell you right now, you're not having a breakdown. You're having a breakthrough. Amen. 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 Jesus Christ himself. You're not trying to do something that's never been done before. You're just walking in the steps of the one who walked through death, hell, and the grave and came up alive, victorious over all your enemies. And you just go right through that hole he made. He broke through into the light. And when he did, he left it wide open so whosoever will can come the same way. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Jesus said, truly, do you need some help? He said, truly, truly, I say to you in John, the gospel of John, he said, whoever believes in me has passed from death unto life. One translation said he's left death's country and entered into life's country. So anyway, that's what this song is from. And as we're singing it, you know, you just kind of let these words, you know, singing is just another way of saying. And what shall we say to these things? Well, God is for us. We passed out of death into life. And just let these words just kind of, just let them just penetrate your soul. You're thinking about who you are. You have passed out of the hold and dominion of darkness. We hope you've enjoyed this message by Lois Toucher and Cindy Duvall of Shekinah Glory Ministries. For more information about Shekinah Glory, 
log on to our website at www.shekinahglory.com. There you'll find our entire catalog of teaching materials, music CDs, and books, all available for online purchase. The website also offers our daily devotional, updates from the road, and our ministry itinerary so you can pray for us as we travel throughout the United States and overseas. You can also join our mailing list in order to receive regular newsletter updates of ongoing ministry projects. Thank you and God bless you for your support of Shekinah Glory Ministries. We couldn't do it without you. Truly, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill all the earth. This is Ray Toucher, speaking for Shekinah Glory Ministries. Thank you and God bless you.